0: We Infuse Podcast, Episode Number Twenty Four. Welcome to the We Infuse Podcast. My name is Dylan McCabe, and in every episode, we give you a behind-the-scenes look at the infusion suite, whether it's a provider office or a standalone infusion center. And in this podcast, I'm interviewing Dr. Vikram Singupta. He's the chief medical officer at ThriveWell Well Infusion in New York, and he's right in the middle of everything with the coronavirus happening right there in New York City. So I'm excited to do this interview with you. He brings a lot of insight to the table, and I'm not going to spoil any of it. Let's jump right in. All right, as I stated, I've got Dr. Vic Singupta on the show today, and like I said in the introduction, the reason I'm really excited is because he is right at the center of everything in the New York City area. And he's gonna share a little bit about what they're going through and the precautionary measures they're taking to make sure they navigate this uh, COVID-19 uh, challenging challenging situation well. So Vic, thank you for being on the show.
1: Yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, basically, um, I guess a little bit about myself. Uh, I'm the Chief Medical Officer of Five Well Infusion. We uh, founded uh, in 2017 and uh, we have uh, currently three ambulatory infusion centers: two located in Brooklyn and Crown Heights, and one in Borough Park, um, uh, and another in Manhasset, uh, New York, which is in Long Island. All of these have been impacted by the COVID-19 crisis, and you know, and and as many of the listeners will know, um, we are really at the epicenter of this, with 32,000 cases confirmed as of this morning, and you know, uh, greater than a thousand deaths were, uh, nationwide already. Um, so basically I guess we're going to discuss our response to the COVID-19 situation has been to I I think basically what it really highlights about um, ambulatory infusion is the importance of site of care optimization for the safety of patients and that's the sort of Angle that uh, I have taken, because as 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 the person responsible for managing and ensuring that these patients receive the highest standard of care in the safest settings possible, and to that end, we have um, you know implemented many of the broader measures that have been recommended both by NICA and by the CDC and and Johns Hopkins and other authorities um, on this matter, and uh, as far as screening and um, Ensuring that we minimize risk of exposure, I've sent all of my uh, mm-hmm. administrative staff um, home, and they're working remotely. And it's only clinical people on the ground. Uh, you know, we make sure that people are two meters apart if they are. Uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, basically at, at the center at the same time. And we try to prevent having more than one patient actually in our centers at the same time right now, which is not always possible, but. The good news uh, for us is that we have uh, our model is centered around um, predominantly private rooms. So that's allowed us to segregate patients and and avoid uh, cross-contamination. And and we've basically just stopped using our semi-private infusion suites, which, which have about one or two chairs typically.
0: Um, well, tell us tell us quickly, you know, I think a lot of people listening to this especially if they're providers or people running, you know, standalone infusion centers, they're thinking, you know, how do I know which risk mitigation strategies to take with my patients? Where are you getting these, where are you getting your information? I know you mentioned NICA, the National Infusion Center Association, which we can find at infusioncenter.org. What's your main source for protocol for navigating the situation?
1: Well, you know, I have, um, I don't use a single source. I think it's important to be aware of all of the major sources of, uh, and, and also to be directly in touch with primary, primary sources on the ground. So, I'm in communication with infectious disease docs and 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 hospitalists and ED docs on the ground at NYU, um, where I'm on faculty um, every day, and um, I'm communicating with um, other people in other parts of the country who have started a COVID nineteen task force forces. Um, and then, and 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 basically trying to synthesize that all of that with a, a set of other clinicians um, into something that applies more specifically to the ambulatory infusion setting, and and I think that the NICA standards really distilled it quite nicely. You know, um, really, we for our purposes um, in terms of personal protective equipment, it's really gown, gloves, goggles, face shield, and ninety-five masks are less. Um, substantial um, in our setting because we are not really uh, involved in aerosol-generating procedures, but we have those and make sure that um, everybody is trained and that uh, people are repeatedly trained on that um, to ensure that everyone is up to date. And um, we're making sure that we decontaminate all of our surfaces before and after uh, patient encounters with uh, EPA-approved medications, uh, or rather, uh, cleaning products, including cavity wipes, alcohol greater than sixty to seventy percent, um, diluted bleach, Windex, open water, sunlight. We're not using sunlight, but the, the, those are those those are the modalities that have been shown to be effective. Um, and we're considering, you know, the half life involved in you know the dissipation of 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 COVID nineteen from from uh, physical surfaces, etc. Some other measures that we've taken is that we're screening the patients remotely via phone. You know, fever, cough, travel to um, uh, to, uh, uh, countries, uh, high-risk countries, which has expanded um, substantially now. And then um, we are not really allowing visitors into the centers, and we are checking checking patients' vital signs and screening them when they do come on site um, outside of the center before we allow them in um if some if, and the policy is that if we suspect someone of having something if somehow a patient enters uh, you know and we begin um our encounter you know if there's a suspicion for example that that uh, you know maybe suddenly they expect a fever the plan is to immediately mask them put them in a private room which they probably will be in already you know and uh you know make sure and then uh you know basically send them for you know contact infection control and and go from there
0: Right. Now let's let's talk about the big elephant in the room, I think, as, as you are located in the New York City area. What is it like there? Because all of us, I mean, I'm in Dallas, Texas. We've got listeners all over the US. And I just saw a video I mentioned to you before we started recording the video put out by this emergency room doc um, in New York City. And she's talking about how they re- receive five new ventilators, but really they need like 100. I mean, what what's the situation like out there?
1: Yeah, this, this situation is uh, pretty grim. The hospitals are straining, and we sort of anticipated this um, at ThriveWell and have reached out, uh, you know, to the CMOs of all the major systems, um, and making them aware that we, you know we're available here to help offload their uh, autoimmune patients who need infusions right now because. There is a convergence of people with transmissible illness upon all of the major academic medical centers. And there are wards after ward um, that are opening that are dedicated only to to those infected with COVID-19. There's a very high mortality rate and resources need to be dedicated to that. There is a shortage of vents and and PPE at various and every institution is a little bit different in terms of their access to resources. Um, but the, the hospitals are definitely overstrained, and the executives who I've been in touch with um, over the course of the past few weeks—just you know, uh, you know—they're they're, they're, you know they're rising to the occasion, and I just have to really uh, you know express my respect and appreciation for all of my colleagues in, in medicine, and and the administrators, and and the advanced uh, staff, who, advanced practitioners, and physicians, and everybody there that are just handling this on the front lines every single day. Um, because they're really working hard, and but and hopefully we'll be able to contain it. But it, it's overstrained right now, and um, and there is a need that is emerging right now um, as it pertains to ambulatory infusion. There's an emerging need that for patients who are immunocompromised at risk, you know, um, uh, to be to tr- to be transferred to sites of care that are safer for them, namely ambulatory infusion centers like ours that have been able to remain imperturbed and unexposed at least so far as much as possible and can contain and prevent transmission and detect. We're not trying to detect at all. We haven't taken that tack. We are basically trying to serve as a haven for that. And and, uh, certain kinds of uh, patients on biologics really are more susceptible than others. Most of them tend to be immunocompromised, but MS patients, for example, those on Tysavri are at higher risk. And, And increasingly, we're seeing an influx of 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 these kinds of patients, um, because of that, um, and we're open to that. We've we've basically hopefully can offload the patient, the hospital resources, while while making sure that these folks don't get um, cross-contaminated, because their risk of critical illness in in, in the setting of of a COVID nineteen exposure is about twenty percent as opposed to the general population, which would be more about 5%. And then and that's another vent op- occupied that was totally avoidable. It's another hospital bed that was totally avoidable for for a non-elective um, procedure um, that, that has to be done on a regular basis
0: and, and, and often, you know, biweekly or even monthly. So. You know, that's a great point, is that you can actually relieve some of the strain on, on the hospital system by saying, hey, we have room for patients that are on these biologics and we can we can take care of that need and free up space for others I mean I I haven't heard anybody talk about that
1: yeah I mean it, to me that was um, that was the first thought really I mean how can we help you know you know we I've also extended we've also extended our resources in any to, 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 to hospital leadership across the city in any way that they might see fit, you know, and, and are open to any other thing. But that is the most natural um, extension of the op- notion of site of care optimization in this, in this, from, from this standpoint. Um, and so, to that end, also we're working to set up new centers acutely um, in, air, in zones that are at very high risk for very rapid propagation. There are some new studies out of MIT that came out this week that certain parts of the city, certain boroughs. Are going to be very difficult to control um, transmission in, and 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 the hospital systems there are very overwhelmed, and so we're trying to create ac- like basically pop up infusion centers that allow us to, to 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 handle those patients. It's taking some time and energy, but but and then uh, the the other option being mobile infusion units that we're trying to explore as well, because we have refined the ambulatory model and and all, and now basically I think that if you just take the for those who can't get a straight home infusion and require a higher level of monitoring and have to get their infusions, sometimes it may make sense in order to enforce social distancing, which is really the core of controlling this epidemic, uh, by, by uh, utilizing mobile units. So, you know, we're talking to people and, and trying to do something favorable while also serving our existing patient population. Um, and making sure that they get the best care that they can, that we can give them.
0: That's so interesting. You know, I think about situations like this that are so challenging. It really forces people to think more creatively and, and kind of think like an entrepreneur and come up with solutions. And it's great because... You just voiced a few solutions that I think other people may not even be thinking of, or maybe they did think of it, but they didn't pull the trigger on it. And it's really, it's really neat to see how you can, you know, try to lend that helping hand and be creative about it. And so as we talk about, I mean, we've talked about protecting your patients. Let's, you know, a question comes to my mind is how, how are you guys managing the communication flow? To all of your patients, I'm sure your patients have lots of questions like, what do we do? Can we come in and get our infusion? How are you guys navigating that and managing that information transfer to your patients back and forth?
1: Well, that is a, a big issue. And I think that, again, this pandemic epidemic has really brought that into bold relief, which is the importance of bidirectional communication in real time to patients on mass, basically. And which, um, as far as outgoing uh, information and then also uh, in the way of surveys, etc., and also um, collecting information from them in real time directly. And so, but right now we have a pretty straightforward system: is that we're just calling every single patient and making sure that they're okay. And and, and uh, you know it's uh, <laughs> it's not uh, technologically the most advanced approach, but it's it's exhaustive and it's thorough. And we're making sure that everybody's okay, that they haven't been exposed, that they're not having symptoms, and if they are we're helping out formulate alternative plans for them to get their care and, and helping them come up with, you know, not just solutions for their health, but also, you know, trying to extend, you know, some form of something that can help them cope with the uh, stress and the, you know, and just the general, you know, personal disorder that originates from being basically, you know, suddenly in, in lockdown, you know, in a city where people are so accustomed to, To being out and about all the time and uh, um, so that's what we're doing in terms of our patient communication we're telling them we're giving them information about and and we're screening them by, by a phone so those are the essential elements of that
0: that's great and I know at the time of the recording of this podcast I know we infuse released some updates in their software that allows for appointment reminders and alerts and stuff like that and some of our customers are tweaking that to kind of tailor it to this outbreak, and they're communicating to their to their patient population in that way, and I know it's been very helpful, but like I said, at the time of the recording of this podcast, it's a brand new feature that was just released, and so I think we'll see more people use that moving forward just to help with communication. Um, well, let, let, let's switch gears here. Let's talk about your team. I mean, you mentioned mm-hmm. that some of your admin staff, you, you sent them home. You know, I looked at the video I saw earlier. It showed a lot of the healthcare providers nurses all kinds of staff the hospital everybody looked like they were in the operating room <laughs> so what what are you guys doing to protect your your staff cuz that's a lot of news articles that we read talk about that like oh my gosh what if the nurses start getting sick
1: yeah I, you know that's that's a huge deal because I'll read first of all you know we had a death yesterday uh, there was a nurse at one of the major hospitals who passed away as a result of a coronavirus infection and and it's really tragic because he was there out on the ground trying to help and and theme, you know this you know I don't know the details and won't presume to know them but 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 it seems that there may have been a lack of uh, of availability of personal protective equipment there so you know one thing that we're doing so as i said before is that we're ensuring that nobody who doesn't need to be there is on site and that's all of our administrative staff billing front desk people uh, prior auth, no, none of those people are on site. We're all operating remotely, and the only people who go to the center are the clinicians to handle the patients um, and handle their infusions. And um, and in order to protect them, we're you know we're giving them education. We're using educational flyers, some of which have originated from NICA, which by the way we're also giving to our patients. Uh, our patients, the patient education flyers pr- pr- produced by we infuse in Nika, were really. Good too, and um, you know, teaching hygiene, enforcing diligent hygiene, ensuring that uh, they are aware of, of proper donning and doffing techniques, ensuring that there's copious amounts of sanitizer everywhere, um, and uh, and uh, making sure that we risk screen them, and, and 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 make it clear to them that they don't need to engage in presenteeism, namely. Showing up for work, even though you're feeling sick because you feel somehow obligated to do so as a clinician, which everyone who's a clinician knows is that, that there's a pressure for that. And, and we've made it very clear that there, if you need to call out, you call out. There will no, there's, be no retaliatory response. We'll figure it out. Um, and just take care of yourself and, 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 and quarantine yourself for the appropriate, for the 14-day period. The other thing we're doing to protect them is we're extending our clinic, again, extending our clinic patient hours um, so that there's minimal exposure and the fewest number of people in the clinic per unit time.
0: That's great. And you think about all the things that you have to do uh, to, to provide for the safety for the patients, for yourself, and it sounds like you guys are thinking creatively, you're making sure you can navigate this well, you're communicating well with other uh, healthcare providers in your area and you guys are navigating it well. So what's what's kind of a what's been a big takeaway or kind of a key learning point that you've you've gleaned from all this that you didn't have before?
1: You know, I think I think that emergency preparedness for this kind of for a broad widespread infectious disease epidemic it just was not at really at the top of my mind it's it's been a long time since we've really had something like this happen and you know although we did respond quickly um i think that uh i would have preferred to have you know uh you know an a, like a stockpile of of of, of a P- uh, ppe we we have enough but you know and maybe even some of the novel therapies which are uh being utilized for the treatment of, of 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 or the evaluation or being evaluated as potential therapies for for covid-19 you know maybe you know maintaining uh this those are basically on I couldn't have uh, predicted those but but, you know, I think in the future, if something like this happens, I'm going to be much more aggr- I-, I waited a week probably before I started to explore and really see what kind of infusible medications might be utilized in order to help patients um, either as a preventative measure or a therapeutic measure. Um, you know, examples being remdesivir, tocilizumab, which is being explored uh, for its ability to, uh, you know, diminish interleuk- interleukin-6 activity and... Therefore, the cytokine storm that reached to death in these patients, um, and various, and you know, some hospitals are actually also using things like high dose vitamin C, and and and, and um, you know, we're capable of doing all these things, and I think just having the supply chain, you know, there and prepared and ready to 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 spring into action for 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 emergencies. Uh, of this nature, I think, will be essential moving forward. And then also, really, ins- I think we're going to enter a new world um, with a totally different paradigm after this, because how could we not? Where our attention to infection and infection control will be much higher and, and we will be enforcing and paying a lot more attention to uh, ensuring that we have habits that, that that um that prevent transmission that we are looking for signs of infection that we are looking to protect those who are at the mo- at greatest risk even more than we already have been um and so those are a few takeaways i would say because because yeah those are, it's really this se- this social distancing is essential you know um uh, I really have come to appreciate that because you know, in the Spanish flu of 1918, you know there was there's there's the story of St. Louis versus Philadelphia, which St. Louis chose to you know not have their World War One parade, and Philadelphia cho- chose to have it, and you know St. Louis had 700 mortalities as a result, and Philadelphia had 12,000. Wow. So, you know, and 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 there were forty to fifty million uh, mortalities in, in in that case, in that situation, and this sort of is starting to look like it could become something on that scale, and, and kind of, you know, um, hopefully we can uh, use modern medicine and uh, and modern uh, epidemiology to, to to really contain this as rapidly as possible. So.
0: Well that it's so interesting that you say that. You know with the social distancing, it's been interesting being in Dallas, Texas and seeing things happen from afar and now it's come to Texas. You know, a lot of people are I feel like just now starting to practice social distancing. Of course, all the restaurants, all the everybody's shut down just like everybody everywhere else. I mean, that's spreading rapidly. But, um, you know, just kind of a question of opinion. Obviously, this isn't medical advice or, or anything like that. But just for people out there that, that are thinking or even saying like, oh, this is no big deal. This is going to pass in a few weeks. And there's only been, you know, there's been a very small amount of deaths so far uh, where everybody's overreacting, basically. And therefore, social distancing is not that important. What What's your response to that? I just don't... You
1: know, I just don't think it's true. And, and one of the biggest reasons is that 81% of those uh, with the disease are simply carriers, asymptomatic carriers. And, and we're trying to really... And so transmission can be occurring without anyone's knowledge, not only because of that, but also because of a latent period while the virus is incubating, during which someone that is high, virulent can be spreading this everywhere. And, that's, and when those folks get into the circulation... Um, that's when you get that's that's what causes you know the explosion in in in, in you know among those who are susceptible those fourteen percent who become these are based on Chinese statistics fourteen percent of those who become severely ill five percent who become critically ill with a two point three case mark fatality rate this is these these numbers are astronomical that's number one the number two thing is that if you look at New York. And you look at the number of cases, there's 32,000 cases. There's just, the numbers don't lie at this point, you know. And I I have to admit that initially, when the first hints of COVID-19 emerged long before it really came to us, I didn't have the same level of concern, you know. Um, And and I was concerned that maybe an overreaction and the economic consequences and contractions that originate from 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 things like you know mandatory shutdowns uh might be um might be of greater consequence um than the healthcare consequences of, of of the covid-19 epidemic and 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 the transmission of it but i i just don't believe that anymore based on the fear that i am hearing from the physicians on the ground that i've never heard from anyone before you know um and based on seeing it with my own two eyes, and then looking at the numbers, which just don't lie, I don't you know, thirty-two thousand, more than a thousand dead. It's it's more in New York, of course. It's the most. I think a third of the cases are in New York right now. But um, but uh, it's gonna. It has the potential to affect us everywhere, and in and in different ways. And we just need to contain it.
0: Right right better safe than sorry cuz we can't really flatten
1: the curve you know if if we if we if we have a lockdown that lasts 2 weeks it's not going to sufficiently flatten the curve and and we and we open up the lockdown based on my discussions with epidemiologists and uh, and their readings and their communications with other people that sort of evaluate these things at a higher and at a much greater depth than I am capable of evaluating, you know, from a statistical standpoint and, 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 their impression is that if you hold, if you do a two week or three week quarantine and then stop it and you open things up, this is going to extend further in time. First of all, you know, you're not going to control the number of cases as much and the rate, and it's going to spike again in a few months and you're going to have to quarantine again for two weeks and it's going to spike again, um, uh, a few weeks later, and this might go on for a very long time, causing an on- ongoing strain on the system. And, you know, I'm not it's just a, it's a very hard thing to take care handle. And when those cases spike at that rate, it's not just flattening the curve is not about just reducing the total mortality. It's also about reducing this acute strain on the healthcare system that originates from having an explosion of cases that 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 converge upon cities and hospital centers in a very short period of time which is what we're seeing right now and hopefully next time we're more prepared for that
0: all right so for anybody listening who's doubting the severity and the and the needed measures that's that uh, that has the ring of truth and i wanted to ask because i look i mean you're a sharp guy you you got a medical degree from the yale school of medicine um, you you've, you you're definitely well studied you've received several awards you're published in uh, in multiple articles, and so I kind of want to get your feedback, especially because, like you said, you are networking with all these other um, specialists, and it's just really interesting to hear your perspective and how you guys are navigating this this storm. So before we um, before we part ways, I, I guess what's for people listening in who are who are dealing with this, what's one parting piece of advice? Um, for people,
1: uh, stay safe enforce, uh, enforce a social, uh, 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 separation and keep your spirits up and try to take care of each
0: other. Um, uh, I think we're all going to get through this. That's great. You know, and that's something we talk a lot about at home is yes, this is putting our stressors on these different areas of our lives. Yes. This is affecting our friends and family these ways, but how can you be solution minded and how can you focus on the positive and they're, Uh, Obviously, long term, there will be a lot of positives that come out of this, but it is definitely a trying time. So we really appreciate you joining the show. We're going to release this show uh, uh, immediately so that people going through this now can get tapped into resources now. So uh, Dr. Sengupta, thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. All right. I hope you took a lot from that interview with Dr. Sengupta, especially about communication with patients specific safety protocols and he's doing a lot of things similar that we've heard from others to just do everything he can to be educated everything there can to be educated one thing you did not hear in this podcast that he mentioned when i i stopped the recording and hit the button to end the recording is he said i really just want to thank my team and I, we took the time to go through all of his team members he wanted to thank, and he wanted them to know how grateful he is. And he mentioned his nursing staff, Olga, Rochelle, Lisa, Christina, Janice, Este, and Sandra. He mentioned his administrative staff, Brenda, Aiza, Teresa, and Dalia. He mentioned his partners, Ben and Ira Newberg, his associate medical director and wife. Uh, he also mentioned his medical advisory board, Uh, the physicians who trust them with referrals, his corporate partners, and last but not least, his patients. And he wanted to thank, you know, of course, above all, just Team ThriveWell. It's a team effort. And of course, you heard on the interview, he's collaborating with other physicians in the New York City area. If you're curious about what else we Infuse can do to equip you, if you're thinking about starting an infusion center, we offer consulting and we offer software. Uh, the consulting is to help you start and grow a successful infusion practice, and the software is a tailor-designed product to manage the practice. Just go over to weinfuse.com and you can schedule a time with an account executive to learn more. Especially now that people are working remotely. The software platform has really never been more powerful because it's got all kinds of systems in place to keep everybody on the same page for every part of the process from initial intake to scheduling to uh, nurses charting to patient follow-up and alerts and reminders. The software, like none other tool that exists, puts everybody in the same system on the same page and completely streamlines the process. So do not hesitate to call one of the account executives at We Infuse today. Just go to the website. You can schedule through this through the site or you can call the main number. You will be glad you did. All right, guys. This is Dylan McCabe with the We Infuse podcast and I will catch you in the next episode.